Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, begging, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more attainable target. Speaking openly about my experience of grief and helping to support others to do the same serves as a regular reminder that we are not alone. Letting all the parts of us, including our grief, have an expression. We may just feel more human and less like robots on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today I'm chatting about connecting a post from last week called Where's the Beef with some additional thoughts in a new post that was just shared today, uh, February 16th, called Where's the Grief? <laughs> and I've titled, entitled this a cautionary commentary inspired by the Where's the Beef post from February 9th. There's a link to that in the podcast in the post. Last week in a post inspired by a conversation combining vegetarianism with a commentary on the 1980s commercial quote, where's the beef, unquote. We explored the risks and benefits of making a religion out of our food choices. Specifically, we chatted about what may or may not happen should we decide to share our luxury-enabled regimens with others. As an extension of that exploration, today I'm addressing a similar question for those of us who are in grief and loss. Quote, where's the grief? <laughs> Unquote. I have had a lot of experiences with grief. Long before two of my children were sick and died, I knew about losing a friend to violent and brutal death. I also knew the shrill of losing someone I loved to suicide. I'd attended funerals for friends of mine before I even graduated high school. And I'm not alone in receiving those early doses of reality. With the recent increase in our nation's suicide rates and relentless acts of mass gun violence, in parentheses, see any news station, the age at which we are exposed to death and violence seems to be decreasing and the burden of grief inversely rises. The, quote, club no one wants to belong to, unquote, is expanding by the day. I generally feel like no two experiences of loss are the same, even in the same person. In this case, it's me. Regardless of the basic facts of loss, such as means of death 
or age at which a person died. The way those around that loss will experience it range from A to Z and back again. The complexity of grief is an inherent challenge that many of us grapple with. Most frequently, I observe this playing out in myself and others as the manifestation of a private assumption that we are too grief-stricken, T-O-O. We fear that we cried too much. We think we may seem sad for too long. We're afraid we might scare others away with our pain. We feel like we might just ruin the whole fill-in-the-blank event, whatever it might be, with our reluctance to leave the house when our hearts have been shattered. We fear we will, and unfortunately do, sometimes lose relationships. And unless and until we are really courageous and stable enough to re-engage with the world, we should trust ourselves. Self-care is the closest thing to pave our path of healing, as I have been able to find. So I rely on my, my instincts and plan accordingly. But what about the less common situation where, there are, where there's less expression of grief? What happens when the opposite of, quote, too much grief, unquote, occurs, and we feel like we should be grieving, feel pain, or express sadness, but it's just not there? What if others are tearful and mournful and sad, but we don't feel the same way? Maybe we don't even feel a thing. Is something wrong with us? Are we rocks with no feelings? Are we less human because the tears don't seem to come? If we're carrying on in our business-as-usual fashion following a death, does it mean that we're somehow immune to the pain of sorrow and loss? Are we secretly asking ourselves, where's the grief? Question mark. It's so okay to ask this question in my humble experience because curiosity is so powerful. The question itself is not a problem. It's our interpretations and often self-incrimination of our answer that gets us tangled up. Operating with a generous assumption that no true two grief experiences are the same. We must commit to being as gracious with our apparent lack of grief as we are with our fear of overgrieving. And in parentheses, please don't add that verb to your vocabulary as it is a fictional concept, overgrieving. What I'm saying is that we don't need to ask where the grief is because whether or not we can feel it, it's there. Grief is within us. Full stop. When we lose someone we love, the ensuing grief becomes a part of us. It's our newfound medium of connection with the deceased. And sometimes, often even, grief takes its time before trying to integrate itself into our new, bent but not broken, ways of being. Our identities change. Our hearts were full and now they're cracked open. Grief eventually seeps through those cracks, like the dripping water of cracks in a broken vase. 
It's unavoidable. But it's okay to take our time with this evolving process. Maybe our minds want to shield us from the inevitability of what may be the worst emotional and or physical pain we suffer in our lifetimes. At times, perhaps nature understands that we need to pace ourselves. And for some of us, that means we need more time, maybe oodles of time, maybe two decades, as was my experience, to process our pain in installments. The timing of whether feeling that we grieve too much or maybe not at all, and we're wondering where the grief is, these elements make grief a very complicated and unique experience. Next time you feel like everyone around you is grief-stricken, and you find yourself asking, where's the grief in relation to your own feelings? Take a long, slow, and deep breath. Consider that maybe your family needs your grief to be dormant for a bit yet, so you can be present to them. Perhaps you cannot afford to financially execute an option to take a leave of absence for grieving and must return immediately to work. Or maybe the thought of not working or busying yourself feels like your own act of suicide. Keeping busy can help us avoid feelings. But when it does, it also keeps us alive. We may never know the reasons why we may be stoic after a death. And that's a good thing, because we really don't need to. Our love for our deceased children, parents, siblings, lifelong friends, and co-workers, and even the decimation of life that is not personal to us, but is nevertheless inhumane, as in the current state of Ukraine, is real, R-E-A-L, capitals, and also ALIVE, in all caps, A-L-I-V-E. Regardless of if we feel everything or if we feel nothing. Asking ourselves where the grief is constitutes one more form of detrimental judgment and potential self-incrimination that is not a necessary part of the grief process. Judging ourselves for our feelings, or lack thereof, is the same deleterious attack either way. So use caution if and when asking, where's the grief? Because there is literally no chance that it doesn't exist. It is ours and ours alone. It will introduce itself to us in time. Let's try to let the criticisms of ourselves and others float by like rain clouds that are temporary and irrelevant to what's happening down here on the battleground of sorrow. Or see the judgments as puddles that are there on the ground but can be stepped around by us without incident. And when it comes to sharing, actually sharing our individual and vulnerable experiences of pain and grief, remember the vegetarian and the teasers at the dinner table from the last post. Those who cannot understand, which is basically everyone but you, may not be able to handle the responsibility and the trust 
of holding what you share in their hearts with the respect and care that our feelings so deserve. The number of times that sharing my own intimate experience of grief with some naysayer critic has actually helped them better understand my genuine situation is, well, in a word, zero. Let's take caution not to judge our own grief experience as too little or too much. And let's not allow our deepest wounds to be exposed to others who are entangled, knowingly or unknowingly, with their own grief or lack thereof, unless they genuinely love us. There is no rush to grieve or not. There is only time and our own personal relationships with the beloved memories of our forever loved lost ones. Time and love become woven together as the connection we now share with that person. And in small or large doses, only we can figure out our best paths to healing for our own personal recovery. And if you ever get sincerely curious about where your grief is, just sit still and breathe. It may just be waiting to know for sure it will be safe to come out of hiding. So thank you for tuning into this episode of the Healing Path podcast. And there's really two components to this. I was playing uh, with the words, obviously, where's the beef and where's the grief? I thought that was kind of funny, um, although what we're talking about it's not funny at all. And the first component that I really wanted to draw out is that most people that I either know personally, including my own, um, the way that I have grieved and and the people that I'm, you know, sort of in touch with, I think there's an overwhelming sense of fear about, you know, I'm not moving on quickly enough. Everyone else is doing fine. Um, I'm going to scare people away. People are going to think dying babies are contagious. You know, you you suddenly feel as though we're just too much for the world, that it's just going to going to swallow up whoever's around. And um, for those of you that I know well know how much I love the Indigo Girls, and there's a line in one of their songs that says, you know, there's not enough room in this world for my pain. And I think that that sometimes feels like the case. So we just don't even want to open our mouths because we're afraid and we try to tamper and damp it all down. So that's the first thing, because the the fact that the opposite is also possible. We don't want to go too far in the other direction where, um, you know, we're not feeling anything. However, the point in this first component is that we want to be okay with however our grief is going to show up. Because just, you know, knowing that we, if we feel like, oh, maybe we're numb, um, maybe our families need us. Maybe our partners need us. Maybe we need us. Maybe it is just too much for us. And so somehow there's a protective mechanism in there that, as I mentioned at the end of the post, I do think that our grief sometimes is waiting to to <laughs> confirm that it's safe to come out, that it's safe to take its place. That could take years. For me, it was over two decades before 
I could really speak publicly about my children dying, two of my children dying. So the second component is that not, you know, if we do go ahead and decide that we're going to honor the grief that's trying to emerge, if we feel that it is, or if it's coming out in larger quantities and strengths that make us uncomfortable, we have this issue of not um, always being in the company of people that are capable, and it's not a judgment call, but it's simply a skill or a capacity to receive our truth and respect it for what it is. And yes, it's so helpful, can be helpful to share our experiences Um, And I do believe that to be a critical component of the healing process. But in this case, perhaps the fear of grieving wrong or insufficiently, but only when the ears of our trepidation fall on the ability of people to show up. In other words, um, it's not helpful for us to shout it from the mountaintops. We have to surround ourselves with, if we can, just even one person who we know really sees us, really accepts us, really loves us, and is not going anywhere. So I guess I would just wrap this up by saying, just reminding us all, it's okay for us all to grieve in our own way, in our own time. It's a little bit like, I love um, metaphors, but you know, driving on the highway. It's like some days people are flying by us. Other times we're the ones passing everyone. We get stuck in traffic sometimes and we have to flex our patience muscles. And other times there's little traffic and we can maneuver without any trouble. But the point is we need to integrate our losses at our own pace and our own vehicle, which is our humanity in our own way, and only share these um, experiences with people who will love us unconditionally. And I will end with, if we're loved and accepted this way from only one other person in the world, I would even say a pet. We have what we need to pave our healing path. What we need is love, and we need to get it from someone who loves us all the way through. So thank you again for joining the Healing Path Podcast. I hope this has landed um, and that you've enjoyed my little play on words with where's the grief, where's the beef. And until next time, let's do our best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing. And as always, I sincerely thank you for listening.